fathers and sons that I could count on Ryan to help out some of the guys who may not know what they're doing. So I put one particular family with Ryan in his little boat. And I told the guy before, and he had, he had two sons that, was, that were with him. And I said to him, I said, Bart, now you make sure that you listen to Ryan. Okay? I said, Ryan knows what he's doing when it comes to trout fishing. And you might think to yourself, oh, I'm not so sure. But I guarantee you, if you just do what Ryan says, you're going to catch fish. So Bart gets in the boat with his sons. They leave the shore. They're gone. Now they're out of sight, out of voice and all that kind of stuff. I couldn't hear them talking or anything. And Bart told me later that he proceeded to explain to Ryan that he had fished before. And because he had fished before, he didn't need any instruction on how to catch trout. And so Bart did not listen to anything Ryan said. Now, Bart was from Southern California. And where it was he fished, I have no idea. I don't know how he fished. But for the first hour or so, Bart was absolutely unsuccessful. His boys caught nothing. So Bart, even though he's one of the most stubborn people I've ever met, decided after an hour of nothing, when he could see boats around him everywhere catching fish, that he was going to finally listen to Ryan. So Ryan, and Ryan had tried to tell him, you know, you're not going to, you can just imagine this. this. This would make you more stubborn as the fellow who's running the motor is saying, you know, you're not going to catch any fish that way. And, but Bart just kept insisting, this is how we're going to do it. And so he tried that for an hour, absolutely unsuccessfully. And finally, he told me later, he said, finally, Kelly, I said, forget it. This isn't working. Okay, Ryan, show us how to fish. And immediately they started catching fish. And Bart's two sons actually won the tournament that day for both the number of fish caught and they had the largest fish caught. And it was all because finally Bart decided he wasn't going to be as stubborn as he had previously been. So stubbornness can be a very bad thing. It can sometimes prevent you from doing what you need to get done. Sometimes stubbornness can be a very good thing. You've heard stories about people who absolutely persevered. And they had all kinds of obstacles in their way. But because they stubbornly refused to give up, they were able to get accomplished what they wanted to get accomplished. Well, this morning, Paul is definitely one of those of the latter group. The Apostle Paul is one who is stubborn about the good news of Jesus. And he is insistent that people come to Jesus. He wants to make sure they do. And so he works very hard at it. Let's look at some of the obstacles that this guy had to face. Now we're going to flip back here. Look at Acts chapter 13. Notice in verse 44, it says, On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. And it looks like Paul is effectively kind of wiping his feet off and saying, I'm done here, no more, I've tried this, it didn't work. And so you'd think maybe he's done. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to preach to the Jews anymore. But Paul is not one to give up easily when it comes to the preaching to the Jews. So look at verse 50 in the same chapter. In chapter 13, it says, But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So Paul says, or what the text says, they shook their, the dust from their feet and protest against them and went to Iconium. So this time he literally shakes the dust off his feet and he moves on and it looks like he's done. 
Look at chapter 14, verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. And so Paul is absolutely unwilling to quit. He, in one city, it's so bad he shakes the dust off his feet as he heads to the next city. But when he gets to the next city, he's willing to actually preach again to the Jews. Which I think is uh, like it takes some perseverance in order to do that. And then he ends up being successful. Then watch verse 2. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And so there is more trouble there in this city because of the Jews stirring people up. Now look at verse 19, same chapter. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. That's going to take some perseverance to move past that one. Your life has been threatened. Still, the Jews continue to to kind of hammer Paul. See what he does. Look at chapter 16, verse 3. Here it says in verse 3 that Paul wanted to take Timothy along on the journey. So he circumcised him. Why? Because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And Paul had every intention of continuing to preach to the Jews. So what we see here is a guy who continually is being harassed, threatened, stoned, practically killed. And even though he says, I'm done with the Jews, I can't preach to them any longer. He doesn't give up. He doesn't stop, even though there's and you've done that before. Aren't there times when something has happened? You said, that's it. I give up. I'm done with this. I know that I've done that when working on my car. Like I will, I will bang my knuckles so badly for about the 30th time, maybe end up in the emergency room as I have done twice when working on my car, throw down the tools. That's it. I'm finished. I'll never drive a car again in my life. And then 15 minutes later, after I've cooled off a bit, I go back out to the garage and I say to myself, I'm going to get this thing done if it kills me. And I keep working at it. Now, you have done the same thing, and that's exactly where Paul is at with respect to the Jews. He just keeps going back to that well. They persecute him, they stone him, and he's just not going to give up on these people. Why is it that Paul refuses to give up on these Jews? There is a reason. Look at this from Romans chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. That's why. That's why he's willing to be stoned. That's why he's willing to have them say all those things about him. That's why he's willing to be run out of every city that he goes into. And that's why he's willing to keep going back to the synagogue and keep trying to find more Jews that he can convince about Jesus Christ. And when we get over in chapter 16 to verse 13, that's exactly where Paul is. Look at these verses with me. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now, this is interesting. Paul says that he goes on the Sabbath... And that tells you something. 
He goes on the Sabbath because he knows that there are Jews who are looking to be with other Jews on the Sabbath. But in this particular city, in the city of Philippi, there were not enough male Jews in order to have a synagogue. You've got to have 10 male Jews willing to come together and form a synagogue in order to have one. And clearly in Philippi, there is not enough male presence in the population of Jews for them to have that synagogue arranged. And so instead, the Jews who want to get together, will on the Sabbath go outside the city wall to a place where, and typically there was running water there, some kind of stream, and they would meet in a group and have a place of prayer. Well, Paul's very familiar with that way of Judaism. He probably has talked to people, realized that there's no synagogue there, and so he goes outside the city wall specifically, specifically looking for the Jewish population so that he might say something to them about Jesus. So that's what's going on here. He's expecting to find Jews outside the city of wall, city wall who are there in order to pray. Then it says, we sat down and began to speak to the women who'd gathered there. And that makes, again, perfect sense. There obviously are not enough male Jews in order to found a synagogue. And so he's probably among a group of Jewish women. So he sits down with them. There are also, in addition to the Jewish women, there are also some of the God-fearing Greeks, these uh, God-fearers that were... Calling them, And so there are women there who are Jews, women there who are God-fearers, and they are listening to what Paul has to say. And then verse 15, or sorry, 14, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. And that expression, worshiper of God, means that she was a Gentile who was a God-fearer, who met with the Jews, but wasn't yet a full Jew. So... Lydia is a, some kind of merchant. She's a businesswoman, probably a woman who's a bit savvy, a God-fearer, a Gentile, open to hearing what Paul has to say about Jesus. So this is interesting because we have a person here whose heart is open to God. And all that's needed... All that's necessary in this case is for someone to go and find Lydia and tell her something that she needs to listen to. And so one of the things that needs to happen both this morning and always is that we need to be ready to say to people who might be willing and ready to listen, we know something of good news for you. And it's very possible this morning that you are a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ, but you're a person who perhaps is willing to listen. Maybe you're a Lydia, and maybe this morning the Lord will open your heart to the gospel and allow you to hear something good about Jesus. And so I just want to tell you, if you're one of these people who is perhaps open to the Lord, good on you for being here this morning. Good on you for listening. Good on you for being willing to hear and to think about spiritual things. And we want to be a group of people who can inform you about who Jesus is and show you spiritual things. We want to help you open your life up to this thing that God has done in Jesus Christ. It's the best thing that there is for us to know Jesus. For Jesus to have given himself for the world, given himself literally for your sin on the cross so that you could know him. It's the best thing there is. And the best news that you'll ever hear, whether it's today or some other time, is about Jesus Christ as Lord. And so I encourage you this morning, if you're not a Christian, to think seriously and ask that question about who is Jesus and what does he mean for me? I'm excited when I hear about someone like Lydia who is willing to listen to the good news about Jesus. Jesus. 
and to respond to it. I'm guessing that as a, as a female and as a dealer uh, in business, a prominent woman in the community, there were tons of things that could distract Lydia and lead her away from thinking about spiritual things. But she chooses to be open to these things, to the message about Christ, and to come to him. And so if you're a person like that, I just want to encourage you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you took some time out of your morning to come and be here. I absolutely trust that your concerns are real and genuine, that you're interested in hearing something about Christ and what he means for your life. And so if there's any way that we can, if I can, in any way, teach you more that you want to know about Jesus, I'm glad to do so. And if, uh, if you want to know some, something more about Christ this morning, please come to me afterwards and say, I want to be like Lydia, willing to listen and to hear more about Christ. So if that's you, praise the Lord. If it's not you, then I encourage you to be a Lydia. Think seriously about what that means to give your life to Jesus. Now look at verse 15. Or sorry, the end of 14 says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And of course, we hope that that's happening to you. It's interesting the way that that happens. It's through the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that hearts are opened. I don't know if you know this or not. There's a, there's a movement in North American Christianity right now among um, many people. It's called the Radical Reformed Movement, where people are talking a lot about the Holy Spirit working on hearts in unique ways. And it's this whole idea that unless the Lord calls someone, they can't come to him. And it has become so prevalent, this idea, that in order for a person to be saved, they have to be especially chosen by God while others are rejected by God. And personally, I'm not buying into that theology. I'm absolutely convinced That every human being has a chance to hear the gospel for him or herself and to come to Christ. I'm not convinced that God goes around and and he picks some people to be damned and some people to be saved. I'm not convinced that that's gospel. And so when this says that the Lord opened her heart, I don't think it's saying that God picked Lydia as opposed to the lady who's sitting next to her whom God did not pick. Instead, what happened was the Lord opened Lydia's heart through the telling of the story of Jesus. It's the gospel itself that opens up Lydia's heart. And again, that's what I hope happens to each one of us this morning. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, then I hope that God works through the telling of the gospel story. That your heart can be opened to Christ. And that his love for you, his death on the cross for you, that your sins might be forgiven, will be the compelling factor that will lead you to Jesus. Verse 15 says, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. It's interesting because the text doesn't say that anybody said be baptized. It just kind of goes along with it. And when the Lord opens someone's heart to come to him, the text says that's the choice they make. They come to Jesus and they're baptized afterward. And so part of the message that I would want to say to you, if you happen to be a person this morning who's thinking about who Jesus is, That this whole notion of being baptized is part of what you should consider. In fact, I would compel you. I would advise you. I would persuade you that this is something that you should do in response to the good news of Christ. God loves you. He wants you to give your life completely to him as his as your savior and Lord. And as you do, this act of baptism will unite you specifically with Jesus. 
There are texts in the scripture that talk about being clothed with Christ through baptism. There are texts that talk about being buried with Christ in baptism. And this idea of being baptized puts you into the body of Christ in a unique and wonderful way. And the Holy Spirit comes to you in a special way through the gift uh, of baptism, the blessing of baptism. You go into Christ and the Holy Spirit comes and enters your heart and your life in a way that he's never entered before other than through this special act of baptism. And so I encourage you, if you're a person who's thinking at all about who Jesus is, that baptism would be part of the picture for you, just as the way it was for Lydia when she heard about Jesus. And then I want you to notice what happens to Lydia after her baptism. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. As you read through the rest of the story, one of the things you find out, this is after Paul and Silas have gone through their experience of being in jail in Philippi, you find out that Lydia's home became a center for the church. Near the end of the chapter, it talks about how Paul and Barnabas, when they're later on released from prison, that's where they go. They go to Lydia's house. And so immediately we find this Christian who has... She's so new that she says to Paul, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she has already given herself completely to the Lord and to the work of the church. And it's very evident that the church starts to see Lydia's house as a central location, a place where they can go. They didn't have a church building, so where are they going to meet? Well, they end up meeting at Lydia's house. In the ancient church, there were people who would occasionally, we, sometimes scholars would call them benefactors. People who opened their homes and allowed the church to go and to meet there. And they made it so the church could flourish really by offering that special place where they could unite in worship. Connect with each other socially. Share meals together, break bread together. And they did it in people's homes. We have some semblance of that, I think, happening in our life groups. I would encourage you, if you're not in part of a life group, to go find a Lydia. Find somebody who has opened their home and into whose home you can go and meet with the church and be blessed there. Clearly, it was a blessing to them. They continued to meet in Lydia's house after this, and the church flourished in this city of Philippi, largely because of this woman who from the very beginning decided to give herself to Jesus. And so here we are with this wonderful story. What are we going to do with this? I'm quite impressed. I'm impressed with a guy who is so stubborn about the gospel and people coming to Jesus that he absolutely insists on going back to the Jews and telling them the story. And you have people in your life maybe who haven't listened to Jesus and you need to keep going back and telling. You also need to be looking for those people who are open. Lydia's heart was open. She was listening. She was willing to hear what Paul had to say about this new person, this new message of Jesus. And we need to find those people who are willing to listen who are willing to come to Christ. And then we have this circumstance with Lydia's conversion and how quickly, after her baptism, she gives herself completely to Jesus. And I would say to this, to those of you who are new Christians, and also to those who may be considering becoming a Christian, maybe even this morning, once you put on Jesus, open your life completely 
to Jesus. We do not want to be a group of people who simply goes to church. And if you're a person who has come to Jesus or is thinking about coming to Christ and becoming a Christian, I want to encourage you not to be one who just decides, well, I'm just going to be going to church. That's what I do now. I become a Christian and so I go to church. Lydia obviously didn't see it that way. Immediately opens her home for the church to begin meeting in. They take up residence in Lydia's house and she's a babe in the Lord. That's exciting to me. I don't know if it was Paul and Barnabas' example that caused new Christians like that to absolutely give themselves to Jesus. I don't know if it was their prior recognition of faith in in God that the Jews had had and they saw the Jews giving themselves to God and so they gave themselves to Christ fully when they became Christians. I don't know all the reasons. But it's clear to me that something was happening that needs to happen among all of us and certainly those of us who are new in Christ. And so if you're new in Christ, don't feel like you have to wait. Do you have growing to do? Yes, you have growing to do. But you don't have to grow in order to serve the Lord. You don't have to wait in order to take a significant role in his body. What you need to do is throw yourself, your life, into his service. And the church, when you throw yourself into his service, the church is going to be greatly blessed because you did. Lydia did that, and the church where she was flourished. Later on, we read a book in the New Testament written to the Philippians. Paul wrote the letter of Philippians. It is the only New Testament book of which I'm aware where the writer has absolutely nothing negative to say about the church to whom he is writing. Paul's relationship with the Christians in Philippi was so good. And I think that's maybe largely because Lydia, the first convert there, gave herself completely to him. And the church was built on this woman and her home being open to the work of the Lord. The church will flourish when God's people open themselves up to serve like that. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you and praise you for Paul's stubbornness about the gospel. I'm grateful that he kept going back to the Jews, that he kept saying he was going to win them for you. Father, I'm grateful that when he did go, that he found people like this God-fearer, this woman Lydia, with an open heart to hear. That she listens to the gospel and that when she hears, she doesn't just respond a little bit. She gives herself wholly and completely to what it is that she hears. And her entire life is changed because of her commitment to Christ. And Father, I'm grateful that the church continued to flourish in Philippi and that you worked through it. And use Lydia, this new Christian, to to help the church flourish. Father, we have people today who are in the sound of my voice who can give themselves to Jesus just like this. There are people here today, Father, who need to know you. There are new Christians. Father, I pray that every one of them would give themselves completely to you in service. Help them not to hold back. Help them to hold nothing in reserve. Help them to not allow obstacles to get in the way. We pray that you'd take the world out of the way 
in the way that it inhibits Christians from being committed to you. Help us to devote ourselves completely to you, Lord, as Lydia did. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen.